Hello and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me are Ricky and Milo. Hello, chaps. How's it going, Steph? Yes, indeed. <laughs> Chelsea Football Club, under the stewardship of owner Todd Bowley, has spent 600 million quid, or as Milo just told me, 0.6 billion pounds over two windows. <laughs> Sounds much, much better. Uh, assembling their squad. Money well spent. Money well spent. <laughs> yes. However, it was Oliver Skip and Harry Kane, two Academy products, who were the difference today at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as Spurs comfortably beat Chelsea by two goals to nil, maintaining caretaker manager Christian Stellini's 100% record and placing Spurs nicely in fourth with a bit of buffer. And don't we all like a bit of buffer, gentlemen? As you can tell, listeners, it's going to be that sort of pod today. We're going to be enjoying reviewing the action from that 1.30pm kickoff earlier today. But... Before we get into the revelry and general uh, enjoyment of the afternoon, let's do the week that was. Huge congratulations to the proud Lily Whites for winning the Best Supporters Group at the Football v Homophobia Awards. Football v Homophobia is an international organisation set up to challenge discrimination based on sexual orientation, gender identity and expression at all levels in football. And once again, our huge congratulations to the proud Lily Whites. You all do a brilliant and important job and great work in, uh, overall. Just good stuff. So you can see an example of that excellent work that the Proud Lady Whites do ahead of this weekend's game. The club and Proud Lady Whites released a short film on social media featuring Spurs fan and Proud Lady Whites co-chair Jason Lee talking to Ledley King about the impact that homophobic chanting in this fixture had on Jason and how it made him feel uh, so uncomfortable. Uh, it would be 10 years before he felt able to return to the stadium after witnessing it. Sadly, it seems that there's still a long way to go and homophobic chants were made by Spurs fans before and during the game with the club confirming that two individuals have been arrested for homophobic language and there was also a rather depressing episode on friday with regards to social media when a tweet from the club celebrating jafet tanganga who remember is one of our own he is one of our own academy products got such a vitriolic response that the club had to delete the tweet and send it again hoping for a better response in and of itself that's just such a tragic uh, action to have to take uh, the replies are the predictable comments criticizing the player the club and transfer activity and uh, look it's become a standard uh, it seems to the response is standard it seems these days and mm. that shouldn't be the standard um, you know sections of our fan base have this moronic attitude that they have to comment on everything um, it's tedious and counterproductive and you know nobody at the game is about glory is saying that discussing the merits of a player is not allowed of course it's allowed it's what we do here every week but there isn't any need to do that in response to a tweet celebrating them. And look, in general, it just doesn't need people to respond to at them uh, in any way at all. That's just unnecessary. I would say you just don't need to respond to every tweet, right, guys? I mean, this is the beginning. Just why is this happening? Why do we have these moronic homophobic comments? Why do we have these morons doing a pylon on a celebration of a player? So let's take the two, two separately. So I think within the ground... You know, we all know the song that we, you know, the chant we're talking about here. It's been around for a while. Uh, Proud Lady Whites have been doing great work, yeah, both with the club and with um, with their equivalents at, at Chelsea um, to try and kind of highlight why this song is an issue and why it's homophobic. But unfortunately, a lot of that falls on deaf ears and people. Are, there's a lot of what aboutery and people trying to come up with excuses as to why they don't need to change their behaviour. And I think sometimes it's just kids who want to say a rude word. And with the with the Jaffet thing. Again, I think there's a, a section of very, very online fans. I think a lot of these people don't don't really go to games. And it's it's performative, it's scoring points and you know, kind of derogatory and rude comments about players is for a small audience that follow them. But by behaving in that way, it's a you know, it's a it's a kind of shortcut to a 
getting a moderate following on Twitter or you know getting a reputation. And I think I think that's it. I think it's just kids trying to get attention from their peers without you know thinking about the impact that has on people. You know, we've had loads of people, players recently talking about kind of mental health and the way that um, kind of interactions with fans and uh, you know has an impact on them. And I just don't think people think about it, or maybe they just don't care. Sad. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Milo. I don't think they do care, but their life, but their lives must be quite dull if they think this is a way to carry on, really. And they might need to think about their own mental health if they want to just cruise around posting this stuff on social media all the time, because you know what goes around will come around. But um, I just think in the ground kind of thing. I think anyone that goes to football really should never feel scared or or kind of alienated or ashamed of going or or even marginalised. And I just think um. Because in the ground, I, I can quite easily have a go at someone, but it'd be because of their behaviour and the way they're acting that day. And that not not because of who they are or what they are. It's just someone will deserve something. And, you know, I, there's a person three, four rows behind me in the North London Derby that just definitely deserved a mouthful, the way he was behaving. But people just need to know that anyone can go to football and it should be open to anyone. And I'm glad the club have supported supported all the causes that we follow in this. And I think it's actually quite ballsy of them as well to have our rainbow flag in amongst the away fans there across that entrance there. I think that's, you know, a really ballsy move. I mean, we only have one problem with that with Marseille. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, we just need to sort of, people just need to grow up basically. Uh, I think the point that you made, and it's one that I've made before on this pod, is that, you know, the, one by one in the, in the ground, we have to take on these things. We have to take it. We have to turn around and we have to have a word. You have to stand up and just be brave enough to say something back because otherwise they keep on winning and they keep on spreading their sort of uh, their hatred and negativity and just all around moronicism. It just spreads. So that's where it starts. And I would have to say that for people online, it sort of goes back to that thing, isn't it, chaps, where it's like, you know, don't say things online that you wouldn't say directly to someone's face. And if you would say that sort of thing to someone's face, as you said, Ricky, you probably have bigger issues overall that need addressing. But whatever it is, it needs to not be in football grounds and it needs to not be in any way associated with our football club. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think within the ground, um, you know, we need to get to a point where homophobia is... Um, you know, looked in the same way as as, as uh, you know, racism, and th- th- I'm not saying that racism's gone away in football because sadly that's not the case. But you don't often have the overt displays towards players in the same way that happened, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. And we need to get to the same place with other forms of discrimination in the game. I think, and it, with regards to kind of the arrest today, the the person who uh, reported it, or a person who reported it, talked about it on Twitter afterwards, and the club had. You know, quote tweeted them um, saying that the arrests have been made and then that prompted a pile on and you've got lots and lots of Spurs fans and you know fans of other clubs as well piling in and kind of repeating the abuse or kind of downplaying the impact it can have on individuals and sadly I just think we need to get these knuckle draggers out of the game because it's just you know we, we should be better than that. Yeah, I mean look I think it's a it's an excellent point to, to make that it does need to be recognised and 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 dealt with as toughly as any form of abuse because essentially you're abusing and insulting someone for how they choose to love people in life and love being the centre point hopefully of what we're all on this planet for. Imagine how debilitating it must be to hear people consistently berate you for 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 your for your feelings and for for how you you interact with other people. It's an an awful thing. It's an awful form and. And for all the things that the gay community has already had to endure 
in terms of, of stereotype and abuse. It must be terrible to go to a football match where you want to support your team and have the same stuff. And you are essentially abusing someone's choice of, of how they how they love people and how they interact emotionally with the world. So it, it cannot be overstated and, and, and well said. On just finally, specifically on Jaffet, I mean, what, what are people doing? I mean... <laughs> We've seen, I think in the All or Nothing programme, we had a good insight into what Jaffa is. He's a lovely, lovely kid. Yeah. And yeah. he's grown up at Tottenham and he would do nothing. He would give abs- us absolutely everything. He could have possibly gone alone places, but maybe sometimes he might not want to because he loves he loves being Tottenham and he loves being at Tottenham. So, you know, he, yeah. he, he might not be up to your standards or something, but what are those standards? They're very low, you know, you're people people who bring that abuse. better than sitting fat fingering on your on on your on your exactly. keyboard or your phone on your sofa doing tantamount of fuck all with your life really which is essentially what it comes down to right it, yeah. it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if he was the worst player in the league he still doesn't, yeah. he doesn't deserve the abuse and he's right, not exactly. the worst player in the league and you know he's not going to get any better he's not going to get any better in our shirt with abuse yeah cut it out we should move on we should move on to something that that hopefully you're about to tell us milo may yeah. i don't know if it'll involve in, in some way in helping regulate this but can, anyway that was my awkward attempt to segue us out from uh, our <laughs> last segment so <laughs> um this week the government finally confirmed plans for an independent football regulator which was one of the key recommendations of the crouch review which was conducted following the botch launch of the european super league the key points are that the there'll be new tests for potential club owners and directors Power to stop clubs joining breakaway competitions, such as the Super League. Supporters given a greater say in protecting the, uh, the club identity from uh, changes. For example, names, badges, home shirts. Government also launching a review of uh, the visa system for footballers coming to England. There's a plan for a further round of consultation and then legislation to establish a regulator will be passed when parliamentary time allows. Any thoughts, chaps? I think this is, I mean, I think this would be a good thing as, I mean, whether the Premier League want it themselves, I'm not quite sure. I mean, they might have no choice in it, I don't think. But um, I think they're just, tr- well, I think, without making it sound too, I think they're just trying to nudge football a bit back to where maybe it was rather than, because I think along with the, and, uh, and along with the UEFA, uh, financial fair play new regulations i think they're just trying to create trying to push things back a bit more in balance because i think there's some unhealthy stuff that's come along whether that's sustainability whether that's the owners that have got involved and i mean people used to moan football was oh it's just about business now well ironically it's gone even beyond that i mean it's almost like the business practice has almost gone haywire completely beyond a sensible business thing i mean i think we've talked about you know our own owners in recent times and it's a bit of a shame really because i think they were almost like um they'd almost be poster boys for how you want a club to be run and i think i mean personally i'd like sustainability wise clubs to be run almost on a not-for-profit basis you know what i mean and 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 any owner's income comes when they when they cash out through growth you know what i mean i'd like it all just fed in that way but i think um hopefully getting more fans you know bringing them a bit more into the equation as well um football can hopefully you know get back to i mean i know it's never going to go back to you know what it was before but um we just need a bit more balance i think you know when you think about it it's got football ownership's gone from being kind of a local business person done good to millionaires to multi-millionaires to billionaires to multi-billionaires and and you know it's multi-billionaires and nation states now and you probably need a regulator with a bit more teeth than we've had in the had so. in the past in order to try and control that because of the you know kind of people who are owning these clubs now and and the, and the power they've got the only kind of words of caution I've, i'd have is i had heard that the fa thought that they might be good people to be this regulator which <laughs> uh maybe not but also, if you look at the timescale, if there's a further round of consultation and then 
they would try and find legislation. It would t- probably take a while to pass, and you're looking about a year and a half at the moment till the next general election. So my suspicion is that this probably wouldn't be legislated until after the election. This is a, a, a wonderful move. I mean, to, you have to, regulation should happen outside the body that's being regulated. I mean, whether that's police commissions or whatever, you know. I mean, you're taking a step further towards a, a proper neutral look at what has to happen with football. Yeah, I mean, as you said, Ricky, I, I think it is hopefully to bring better balance. I, yeah, and Milo, I hope that I sincerely hope you're wrong but i fear that you're right i'd like to see it happen much quicker i think it's a i think it's a fine move right it, it did yeah. make me it did make me chuckle with that bit in your notes that says when parliamentary time allows because that can you know <laughs> that can mean literally anything but good um, lord we're, we're about to we're about to embark on a whole other pod aren't we if we're not careful <laughs> well, uh, my, should my... we just Go on. So my spin- spin-off pod on Milo's parliamentary procedure pod is um, coming this autumn. <laughs> so uh, I think what, what, one thing um, that we, you should probably be a little bit worried about is that a lot of the lobbyists, like kind of pilot, uh, the political lobbyists, have uh, been involved in this. And I, I assume it's probably the Premier League who are employing them. But there were a number of articles in... Um, in some of the newspapers, you know, leading up to this and around the time of this announcement, um, criticising it and saying that, yeah. Um, yeah, it was kind of encroaching on this wonderful free market that is the Premier League, and, uh, yeah. and yeah. yeah. So, anyway, should I pick up the Alfie Whiteman uh, one? Should I pick yeah, up the yeah. Alfie Whiteman one, Steph? Yeah. So, um, Alfie Whiteman um, has somewhat surprisingly signed a new contract uh, up to the summer of. Uh, summer of 2025. Alfie is now 24 years old and returned from a season and a half loan with Dagon Force uh, in December. He's played eight minutes for our first team, coming on as a substitute in the Europa League against Lugogorets in November 2020. Um, Alfie gave a really touching interview with Spurs Play where he talked about being a Spurs fan, being at the club since he was eight years old and how he could see the ground from his childhood home. It, I'd recommend watching the interview, actually. It's really good. He does come across really well. Um, what do we make of Alfie getting a new contract? I mean, I, I generally don't don't have too much to say about it other than there is this very curious uh, subculture of, of sort of third, you know, third, fourth choice goalkeepers uh, who are very, they're important. They're important members of the club. I mean, I'll tell you what I concluded, and this was my wacky um, summation. Maybe he is the perfect, quote unquote, sparring partner, if you will, for the likes of Kane and Son and all the strikers to completely test themselves on in training week in, week out. Maybe he, you know, maybe he gets takes the brunt of work from 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 our attackers, first team attackers. I don't know. Maybe he's, you know, he he, he might be the perfect fit for the squad in that regard. I mean, that's not to denigrate the fact he's obviously a talented goalkeeper. Otherwise, he wouldn't be getting a contract extension and he wouldn't be a professional. But maybe that's his role and maybe he's really happy with that. I mean, especially if he's a supporter of the club and so on. But uh, that was that was the that was the most I could come up with. I think I think he's been like you say, Steph, he's been a he's been a Spurs fan for life. So any kind of hint of a contract extension, he's going to be he's going to be getting the pen out, isn't he? He's going to love to stay in our club. But um, it's a weird old life, isn't it? Being a third or fourth choice yeah. keeper because you just think, do I just mosey on off into my late thirties and then do something else? I mean, because yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd like to know what he was earning a week with this contract, but um. I don't know. It's just it's, it's a bizarre one. I mean, thinking it's of the forward planning, he's got to be making what fifteen or twenty grand a week. He's got to be at least. It's a, it, I looked. I did look it up on um, FB Ref have um, mm. salary information. I did look it up this week. I think it yeah. was about uh, five six grand a week. So, okay. but that's still twenty grand a month. You know, it's not. Yeah. You know, it's not to be sniffed at. And oh. I, I don't know what he'd earn in the. You know, if he was playing in League One, Two. 
or yeah. non-league football. I don't know what he'd be earning there. Um, probably, probably, you know, comparable. I would have thought. I don't know. Maybe, maybe less. So, yeah, maybe you are better off. Well, to guaranteed paycheck. I mean, we're not going anywhere soon. Um, so, you know, you I'm, would have to say, I'm, as you said, Ricky, he's a fan. I'm available to be fifth choice keeper. If they want, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd even take a little bit less than that. But yeah. I, I did wonder whether it might, it might mean whether Austin's going out on loan. So Austin's, I think he had one uh, MLS loan, but didn't yeah. play a huge amount. Austin's got one year left on his contract. Um, so I wonder, you know, we do need a, a third choice keeper. So I do wonder whether it's just, it's that and um, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if if I was driving my car every day into hospital way, I'd want to be keep doing that really. <laughs> It's quite that, a nice, um, that, it's quite a nice that, working environment. Uh, yeah, and for two hundred and forty grand a year, as you say, you're not going to sniff at it. So, so fair play to Alfie. <laughs> um, well, we lost the we lost the great one in the world of uh, football earlier this week. The legendary, uh, and that is a most capital L legendary BBC commentator John Motson aka Motti, uh, has passed at the age of 77. Uh, Motti worked for the BBC for 50 years and commentated on more than 2,500 games for television and radio, 10 World Cups, 10 European Championships, 29 FA Cup finals before retiring from the broadcast booth in 2018. And I think any of us who grew up watching or listening to football on the BBC will have his voice accompanying uh, many of our happiest memories. For Spurs fans of a certain vintage, he will forever be remembered for this. And still Ricky Villa! What a fantastic run! He scored! Amazing goal by Ricky Villa! Rest in peace, Moddy. Our thoughts are with his family and friends. And uh, thank you for the tremendous stewardship of broadcasting uh, that, that, you, that you held for so many, uh, for so many decades. That's just yeah, right? yeah. He's the voice I hear in my head when I think about football. Mm, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's not much more to be said, is there, Ricky? Do you have anything to add? Or no, as you say, when you grow up, there are certain voices, and he's definitely one of them. And of course, there was kind of less voices in those days. You know, you had the Beeb and you had the ITV. Like these days, there's a plethora of people, but he's, he's such a kind of student of the game and a legend. He's meticulous in his preparation. I always remember the old. Do you remember the old sheepskin in the snowstorm? And they cut to him and it was just like that snowstorm coming down. It was so funny. But um, yeah, uh, and I think as we said beforehand, him and Barry Davis really were the real commentator legends, I think. You know what, as something I said, you know, is there anything else to say? I mean, of course, this is a whole other podcast we could do, the John Motson podcast, because if we get warmed up here, we'll be revving on forever. And I promise you I won't do that. But what I will say is it's really great when you hear the tributes to him. A lot of the tributes that have come from uh, broadcasters of today um, and broadcasters who bridge the generations of today's broadcasters and when he said, they all talk about his generosity of spirit and his warmth, his friendliness, and generally how supportive he was of, of, of young mm. uh, young broadcasters coming in. Like showing them the ropes, like helping them around, like just being there to answer questions. That's great. That's such a great quality in anyone, I think. So it was a nice touch at the uh, League Cup final today. They had a sheepskin coat and a microphone left empty on a chair in the um, oh, cool. in the in the media section, which is quite great. nice. I think yeah. one other thing, actually, probably that you know, maybe a bit more serious is he's one of the first to say exactly what happened at Hillsborough. Yeah, he was there that day. He saw that, and he was he, he spoke out about it at a time when you know sections of the media in this country were doing the complete opposite and just lying about what happened. Mm. Um, yes, and yeah, <laughs> that in itself 
is another pod. My word, the amount of spin-off pods that we could generate from this evening's content already is unbelievable. But uh, we'll, we'll just say, uh, again, rest in peace, Moddy. Um, and, and, and maybe rest peacefully Chelsea tonight. Poor old Chelsea, spare a thought. Meekly wandering up to uh, to our uh, fine domicile and uh, and and just getting you know just I mean it was a two nil drubbing really wasn't it uh, the, uh, today the the two nil victory uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, chaps. Uh, we will start where we always do, which is uh, what did you think of the team selection and how did we play overall? Well, the team selection was unchanged from last week, which I was a little surprised about, but pleasant you know pleasantly surprised because. You know, it worked well last week and it, it worked well again today. I think it's going to be hard for the players outside of that 11 to, to get a starting place, I think. It's, it's hard to pick faults. How did we play? Um, I thought Chelsea started quite brightly. Um, they were pressing us high up and then I think we realised that they were a bit toothless and and took advantage. And I think from kind of maybe 10, 15 minutes in onwards, we were comfortably the better team. And yeah. Uh, yeah, as the game as the game grew on, grew so did we. Yeah, I think um, I won't lie. I still have my pre-match n- Chelsea nerves. I think Do you know how we always think that. I mean, that's if, to be given. We're, 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 we are who we are. We're all. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we must be similar to what when City play us. I think you always just think, oh, it just feels like you know we're not going to go on the right end of it because they have they've bought lots of players and they've got lots of quality players, but um. 0.6 billion pounds worth it of players was. in two yeah, windows. All lined up just on the bench be... there. Probably some couldn't even travel. They've got so many. Um, but sitting in the coach outside still, probably 20 of them. No. <laughs> Getting paid um, more than Alfie is, I'm telling you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I agree. But I think that first 15 minutes, we um, we kind of we sat in like we did. But this time around, it felt like we were just kind of, we were assessing them, I think, just seeing mm-hmm. what they had. And they were doing their kind of passing thing, but never massively dangerously. You always got, you always run in a risk with Chelsea because even if collectively they're not playing that well, individually they've got some technically sound players, let's face it. Um, but we then started to open up our game more. Because at first I thought, well, it's not going to end up another one of these kind of like hit him on the counter-attack kind of thing. And we stretched them a bit because we, we knocked it long sometimes as well as like trying to pass around them. But I thought our passing patterns were just a bit more on point today. And especially Decky in the first half, I thought looked a bit more, not his best, but he was definitely better than he's looked in a few recent games. And I quite like Rich Arlison just from his... um. He's he's very combative. Uh, he, he, he's aggressive. He he never shirks away from anything, and I think that's always a good thing, just to give Chelsea the frightness to start with to let them know that we're there. But um, yeah, he's a, he's an absolute pest. He's a pest. <laughs> he's a pest. It's wonderful. He's our pest, and we love him for it. Um, yeah. I, I look. I have to say, I agree with you, Milo. I think it's nice to see a consistent selection. Um, I think it's working very well right now, and I think nothing suits our team better than consistency i suppose the same could be said for any football team actually come to think of it um and to your point ricky i did think we looked a lot more comfortable overall for the whole 90 minutes um we didn't seem as anxious in execution we seemed very comfortable in execution even when chelsea were pressing uh, pressing us on the ball we seemed very sure of ourselves there were i think it was only one slip i remember in the whole game and that was uh romero on the halfway line right near the end other than which i mean he you know, made up for. Um, but I don't remember any uh, any moment where we looked 
technically adrift and we were failing to execute simple things. I think there might be the odd pass here and there, but generally speaking, our level of comfort was what really shone through to me in the game. And it actually made it feel like a game against, oh, I don't know. It's the sort of game you expect against Aston Villa or, or you know, uh, Leicester, dare I say, even though they tonked us 4-1. But you know what I mean? It, it felt more like that sort of comfortably stewarded game um, than a game against Chelsea. Uh, then th- it was very. It was just another mid-table team we were playing, though, Steph. So I mean, that's to be expected. <laughs> well, third, best take, L- third best team <laughs> in West London. Can I? Can I just take a question we've got later on in re- yeah. response to that, yeah. Steph? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Do, how much do you think, or, or do you think at all, that uh, us looking more relaxed and more comfortable? Which I agree. I think I think that's been the case. Is down to having Stellini and Mason on the sideline rather than Conte? Is do other players? Are the players scared of Conte? Is are they? You know, is it positive? Is there a positive response to him not being there? Do you think, or am I talking bollocks? Well, you're, you're certainly not talking bollocks in my language. I can tell you that. But Ricky, do you want to do you want to pick this up, or shall I go off on a, on a, on a thirty? No, I'll say a little minute. bit about it because I think I said yeah. in our chat that I'd almost kind of, and it wasn't really joking. It was almost kind of I, I would consider if Conte can run the team from afar for the rest of the season, I'd probably sign up to that. But I think we've we've we've, we've talked about the whole kind of manager mentality thing, even back with Jose. Do you know when you sort of play with that fear environment and it can mm-hmm. grind you down sometimes, and it can be good in some respects, but then it's starts to become a bit wearing and it becomes a bit um you're then on edge shells or you're worried about what the manager thinks all the time and that kind of thing and I think Conte is probably not the problem Jose has with it is he'll then absolutely lambast you you know and run you into the ground personally because of that well I don't think lambast Conte is perfectly th- permissible by the way I like lambast as well yeah, I like sorry. it for our, for our slightly <laughs> more elite listener lambasting is good yeah, and I don't think I don't think Conte does that, but he still certainly can send the fear off him he, because he's he's perfectionist and he wants everything done his way and he won't have it done any other way. And if and I think although you feel like he might have a person have a go at you, you still feel as though I need to make sure that I'm precise and 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 it's almost like a vicious circle. The more precise you feel you have to be, the more chance you might be a bit nervous and a bit on edge doing it because you're not given many freedoms, you're not given many kind of of your own thought processes and that kind of thing. But um uh but I but finally I just think um I think due to his and this isn't due to him being in his normal kind of well, but the season he's had at the moment, I just think Conte's energy might be a bit kind of jagged mm. and a bit sort of confused at the moment. I don't mean confused as in the way he's thinking, but his actual energy is a bit confused because oh. he's been a bit all over the, the place. And the, that does translate to people, I think. And you might just think that he's going through a bit of a a kind of slightly crazy mental patch, like you know, with everything oh, the, that's going I, on. And I don't. Really I don't think there's any. Me. I don't think there's any doubt at all that that's the case. And I mean, as you know, we've been talking about this on this pod since October, and we we nearly touched on it again last week. I think he has um, starting with grief uh, and carrying on mm-hmm. through to health. And it's uh, yeah. tough to know where the dividing line is between those two impacting each other, but it's certainly very, very tangible. And low, I think you, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head. I think he's absolutely not in his best self. I mean, I think we saw it when he came back. He should not have been on the sidelines. We've said all this before, but um, to address what what you were saying, Milo, directly, absolutely. Uh, you know, the energy that you get from the management, the management team, uh, in terms of physical, uh, the physical electricity is, is huge. And this is we're sort of at this weird space where we're talking about. The difference between doing things on zoom and doing things in person you know it's it's, there's a there's an artificial layer 
which separates you from someone when you do things remotely. And it seems like we might have hit a formula. Look, it's not realistic. I don't think it, it will happen. But we might have hit a formula here where we get the very best of Antonio's like nous and knowledge while he's not physically at 100%. And the players don't have to go through his emotional and physical torment with him, which he may or may not unwillingly impart. I'm sure he's not doing it on purpose, but he's such a powerful and centrifugal point of the club that his mood is going to dictate everything. These are young men still, remember. They're going to take their cues, right? I mean, I think on match days, I I think it was Hakimi I said that... They hated being on his side of the pitch during a game. So for the for the wing backs, because of the amount of abuse and and him screaming at them all the way through a game, I know that I th- so a game against Man United was it early on this season. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the, the game at uh, against uh, United at Old Trafford early on this season. Italian media picked up on Conte screaming on the side and say in Italian he screamed at Bentancur, pass the ball, pass the ball, dickhead uh, at him. So. There's you know, clearly, um, you know, we've had players you know talk about it's not pleasant being near him during a game. You know, I want, I do wonder whether that's a factor. I think, and then you know, if you just look at our last five results: Man City, manager Stellini, result win; Leicester, manager Conte, loss; Milan, Conte, loss; West Ham, Stellini, win; Chelsea, Stellini, win. Not telling me there's a pattern emerging there, are you, Milo? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think for Conti to be 100% effective, he has to be at 100%, and quite simply, he's not. Uh, And so that tells its own story. I I don't even think it's that, Steph. I think actually, you know, even, you know, because the stuff with Bentancur, he wasn't ill then. The stuff with Hakimi, he wasn't ill then. I think no, maybe, you're right. You know, I think I'm trying to be but, trying to be an apologist in a sense for him and trying to see the glass is half full. I should just I should just wear my wear my heart on my sleeve and say, look, I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree that he's it, we're benefiting without his. I mean, it's the very thing I've gone on about with him for ages is that he can have that effect on players and make them nervous. Yeah, no, you make a good point. <laughs> Although maybe we've been smart, we've got a new manager bounce mid-season without a new manager. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's also let's let's give credit to Cellini because. Obviously, he's an assistant that's been forced into stepping up, and I think I think he's got a lot of decent credentials. He's got a lot of good characteristics because you know we could have been. I mean, our assistant stepping up, we were just lucky that it was Stellini. It could have been like I don't know, and like, Mason. It could have been like Phil Neal or something, couldn't it? You know what I mean? So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> If you look, if 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 none of you, if you are listening right now and wonder why that's elicited such humour, go look up Phil Neal, manager. Just look him up. I mean, you'll find him as a player, ex Liverpool player. But Phil Neal was the assistant England manager for a while, and it was absolutely uh, calamitous, wasn't it? Really, it was really. But yeah, so I think Stellini takes some credit as well because he just come. When I've been watching his interviews and stuff like that, it's quite straightforward, but not without kind of you know not he's not he's not droll he's excellent he's not like poor he's just excellent he's just kind of he says is. It as it is he and is. he's you know he's got a bit of warmth to him actually yeah, he has yes. his replies are quite sincere and yeah. quite warm and he so. seems like, almost like likeable. like a yeah he does he does once you get what yeah it's, it's, so does that does, so does that project does that reflect on the team is that of course it does how can it oh, yeah but i mean yeah but how I just can mean, it not Yes. No, I just mean, can it do that in such a short... Because a lot of people say the, yes, teams can. Are, the teams are in the manager's image. And I just wonder how quickly that can maybe happen. Maybe, But it's the maybe relief the, of pressure. It may right? be the when relief you, of pressure, yeah. The more relief so is like, oh my God, this is not happening quite like this. Uh, and it, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not like he's any softer. I'm sure he's not any softer, but oh, yeah. Yeah, and and also you know there was the Ali Gold story, wasn't Gold, uh, Ali Gold story 
uh, the other week, wasn't there, about which we spoke about on last week's pod about Conte like cancelling training or cancelling days off and changing the order and like demanding all of the under 21s are training with the first team so he can do 11 versus 11 games in prep for game you know so the under 21s aren't getting uh practice you know aren't uh training for their games and so on if that's not happening so much and there's a bit more you know it's a bit more stable and you know they know they know that mon- you know tomorrow's going to be exactly. a warm down you know light training on tuesday you know you know in prep for for wednesday and you know they know what they're doing maybe that's you know a bit easier than you know, kind of everything up in the air all the time. Exactly, and and again, the mere and I know, I know, I know that you know that that you both and and I know that friends of mine even think that I go off on this energy thing too much sometimes. But I'm such a big believer in it. Without, I don't want to sound like a cultist, but if you have that energy, that intense energy around you, that's constantly anxious, constantly uh, somewhat oppressive, like you don't know if you're going to get the, the what is it? You don't know if you're going to get the uh, the pat on the head or the stick on the back. I don't. Know, there's some phrase. I mean, I suppose it's carrot and stick to an extent. But if you don't know quite where you stand and this got a very very you know explosive authoritarian in that sense or erratic authoritarian it must be hard to work with i i think that kind of personality is very very effective for short periods of time but but becomes very tiring longer you know i've worked with people on projects where you've got someone who's just a you know complete ball of energy and was perfect because they got something done and you know but if i was working with them year in year out i'd hate their fucking guts well well said I, th- I think I think that's well said, and I think it is. I think you're right. Short term is maybe, but I, I have. I hope we've answered your question there. I mean, again, this could be a whole other pod. The moods and the moods and ways from the touchline, how they affect footballers in the modern era, and it is probably more of a modern era thing because you know you've got people who are saying, "Well, back in the old days, you know, you'd wear your sheepskin and yell at people." Well, yes, we're not in the old days anymore. <laughs> this is not that, so it's a whole different. Because I think you can be a madly successful person, but some people might do. Because the impression I get from um, Conte is he is obviously micromanaging as well isn't he because i think stellini's saying you know even from a distance he's phoning all the time and that kind of thing when i suppose someone like sir alex kind of left he would he would have his input when he needed it but he'd leave people to train and that kind of thing so maybe you're fearful of sir alex but you're not fearful of him 24 hours a day because he's not you know well i suppose he he's he's, i think he still went round gigs and lee sharp's place didn't he once in the evening to sort of like (laughs) have a go at them but generally speaking you're you're kind of left you're left to it a lot of the time and even probably the coaches he works with appreciated that you know what i mean because they just don't you know because he's not around but i don't think conte's not coming from that direction is he let's face it no I mean, I think I think we'll be able to test this because it sounds like he's going to be back for next weekend. So I assume he's not going to go to Sheffield. It'd, it'd be silly for him to come back for that, you would have thought. And I assume he'd be back at work on Thursday. Yep. Mm. Who knows? It's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, look, before anyone thinks that it's just a piling on him, it isn't at all. And if you're a consistent listener to this pod, you'll recognise that we've followed his emotional trajectory this season, I believe, closer than any other pod has, actually, um, and, and quite accurately in retrospect. So I think you have to look at this as just the latest in a series of observations of the man. And he is who he is, and we wish him the very best. And I want him to come back 100% healthy. And hopefully he'll he'll have a new lease on life and maybe be a little different. Let's hope. Um, um, alternately, as you said, Milo, maybe it's short, short-lived. Maybe he's, you know, this is the moment. We will see. But one thing we can say is that Antonio's automations were were really pretty helpful today. And 
I think that when you consider the players that previously have not been able to execute um, with, shall we say, the confidence uh, and 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 competency that we did today, uh, you know, we, uh, let, let's just come straight to Oliver Skip um, and his performance overall. Uh, I think, you know, I was one of the people who wanted Papsar to come in for Bentoncourt. I don't think I was alone. Uh, management thought otherwise. They've been big supporters of Oli, and uh, he's come through again with a with with, with another fantastic uh, display today, right? Yep, I think um, he had a very short period at the very start. There, he was a tiny bit rusty. Did another one of his like lose the ball, misplaced pass, maybe get a yellow card, trying to retrieve it. But after that, he was um, him and Pierre team team work together. They have a, I think. I think that's the lucky thing with him and probably Papsar is uh, I think they both have a very good understanding of the game. They've got intelligence and that belies, well, I don't know if it belies their age. Maybe, you know, some some players just seem to benefit from that or, or, or seem to be a bit more born with that kind of thing. But um, yeah, his game today was excellent um, and capping it off with a fine goal, just a, an, a brilliant time because I was hoping that we were going to have our little um, second half boost that we regularly have and well we we did that within 20 seconds I think so um, but I was really pleased for him because that because sometimes a, a goal can take you to another level in the sense of your confidence and going forward he, it, it just make you feel more part of the team again I don't think he I'm not saying he's, he doesn't feel part of the team but it, you know he, he's, some of the players reaction to his goal was great thinking so pleased for him but um I think we've seen it with Skip before. He just got blighted with injuries the, um, mm. uh, last season. He came back from Norwich and was just done really well. And then he got got the injuries that kept him out that wouldn't seem to go away. They were a bit chronic with his um, pelvic problem and that. But um, yeah, so pleased for him. So pleased. I think yeah. I mean, I think the highest praise you can give him is that it, we don't miss Benton Kerr at the moment. And you know, Benton Kerr was probably well in the running for Player of the Season at the point he got injured. And you know, it's been fantastic and i don't think i don't think he would have been done any better than skip today if he was out there and that's you know really high praise uh sorry go on steph no just say it's a very interesting that you say that because i found myself halfway through the game actually churning that very very thought over in my mind thinking wow we're doing this quite comfortably without bentoncourt and i was sort of looking and trying to figure out uh, there's certainly things that i think bentoncourt would have taken on in this game that skippy didn't um but equally we're finding a way to to be really efficient and supreme uh with skippy on the pitch i suppose that's where i was generating my thought of well you know these are players who understand you know the, the conte the conte automations and systems very well and this is where those automations become very helpful because you can have several players who if they're on the, the same mental trajectory can slip in and make it work regardless of their very fine individual differences so uh, sort yeah of. i mean i would say that the five central midfielders we've got are all have got a lot of similarities they've got more in common yeah. than they've got yeah. apart and all, all five of them could play either role um and there are there are slight differences between them but by and by they're you know they're all they're, they're all a bit of they can all do a bit of everything in central midfield none yeah. of them are you know wildly creative none of them are you know uh are, are bruisers they're you know cultured central midfielders who yeah who can do a bit of everything i thought skip's um passing was excellent today it was very very yes. positive with the ball you know looking to play you know straight balls ahead really you know slide them through for the forwards um and used it well he took his goal fantastically and um the way he got past felix to get the, to get the ball and get himself in the position to get the shot away was really good and you know he just wanted it more than chelsea didn't he and yeah yeah, I, yeah he was very yeah. good I, one thing um it was an observation that you picked up on steph a few weeks ago when you were asking me about whether i thought that um ryle was playing in a, a different position um and 
certainly, I mean, he he is tucking inside more. It's something that we did see last season as well when Decky came in. Um, if you remember before Decky came in, we talked a lot about Doherty and uh, and Royale and Mora all yep. wanted to make the same runs and everyone mm-hmm. wanted to come into the near post and that gave us a problem. And then when Decky came in, Decky was comfortable staying out on the touchline, which gave the space for the to, for the wingbacks to underlap. So I don't think it is something necessarily new. But I think what we have seen is since Skip came in the side, so from the Milan game onwards, um, I think that Ryan has been tucking into central midfield a bit more to help out Skip and help that um, mm. position there. Maybe that's a tweak that we've also seen to help. You know, we, We've spoken a lot earlier in the season about us getting outnumbered in defence and it's something that uh, Pep's very keen on, isn't he, with his uh, his wingbacks or yeah. fullbacks tucking into central midfield. Um, so maybe there is a tweak there. Um to just you, mean to help out. Midf- you meant outnumbered in midfield. I just want to mm. make sure that we get, yeah. Yeah. Mm. No, I yeah, agree. I think it was very, very, cl- actually, just sorry, we just had, and then I'll, just to add to that, I noticed again today, it was the most comfortable we've been matching up non formation wise uh, and not uh, not feeling outnumbered uh, at all. We never, we never felt outnumbered today in the midfield. And that might, that's, I think your observation is very much on point with supporting that. Sorry, yeah. Ricky, go on. Yeah, just picking up on a couple of things Milo said there. I think, start with the Royal thing. I think he really, he's kind of enjoying that role as well coming inside because mm-hmm. he's it's certainly playing into his confidence because obviously he's a really confident player at the moment i can't believe you know it's, it's been amazing the last few games uh and i don't actually and just to add to that i don't really agree with the kind of thing oh it's amazing how royals turned it around since poro's come in because i think he's been a bit better than that before poro came in and they yep. say oh because he, he now has pressure from poro but he but he wasn't automatic first selection when Doherty was here because Doherty got runs in in, in the team mm-hmm. and then things like that. So I think it's just I think it's just raw. It's all on raw basically. Sort himself out and um, becoming you know pushing uh, elevating his form. But um, he definitely enjoys that coming inside. And, and the good thing with that is it obviously then eliminates the other thing we don't think he's that good at. Sometimes it's just finding space out wide, stopping the ball, crossing it, not crossing it, not a great crosser and that kind of thing. But the other thing I'll just say finally was about the midfielders is I think we should be excited about the kind of five midfielders they've got because, as you say, they can do a bit of everything. But I think at least... Pierre's probably is the player he is and he's going to be there. But I think the others, with a different manager, could be manipulated or trained into other Mm. kind of roles or slightly different dimensions because I think they're very talented and very clever. In other words, I think they can take things on board. So they become fours or eights or even tens maybe if they had to. You look at at Skip and it would be, especially after today's like shot, you know, last shot. And it's not the first shot he's tried actually recently uh, from distance and gone close with. I mean, you could see an argument for him becoming a box-to-box midfielder in the Mm. the mould of a Lampard. I mean, there's definitely some of that about him if you wanted to train him that way. I agree. That, that that that's what he was for the under twenty ones. So yeah. I've always been a bit, bit bit puzzled when everyone thinks of him as a as you know as a defensive yeah. midfielder and you know, players yeah. get kind of typecast. He was a box to box player, and yeah. um, I mean, yeah, you know, with his direct range of passing, um, you know, useful to have him deep. But I thought that was quite nice. Yeah, you know, when we saw him playing alongside Saar for Milan, they were they were swapping positions nicely and you know each would get their chance to get forward each would get their chance to drop back and seamlessly you know, yeah, yeah. Um, similar similar with Hoybier so great to see yeah yeah um I, just going back to Royale for a second Ricky and the point you're yeah. making there I think exactly you're exactly right um 
what we're asking him to do at the moment plays to his strengths and he doesn't have to do the stuff that he's not very good at very often so you're not seeing him crossing you're not seeing him have to beat a man on the outside you know none of that stuff's going on so what you can focus on is the stuff that he's good at and you know um you know he's a, he's a really good athlete he's got a decent shot on him um you know he, he works hard he you know he's he you know he's really good at a, you know short layoff and making a run all that kind of stuff and that's what he he gets to do in that position I think one of the things I'm really enjoying about watching him <clears throat> and Skip, uh, you know, and the whole team in general, but we're talking about those two players, and I think they embody the point I'm about to make, which is there is a really great sense of a sort of team spirit slash humility and hard work about both of them, which I think in, it, it just makes the whole side function better. This is, again, not rocket science. I mean, Eric Ten Hag's found that out at Man United. If you turf out the Baden, however good he is, you know, and bring in someone who's maybe supposedly half their ability on paper you're going to have a better team I think we're, we're fortunate we've got two players who are very very good but they're also very humble I, I really have noticed the goal celebrations for both of them in the last two weeks everyone is in everyone's there I mean the, there was such a joy for Skippy when he scored today obviously you go 1-0 up against Chelsea but I think you know and then Harry's made a couple of comments afterwards about how nice it was for him to score and he'll never forget that and so on I mean these are small things but they're a big big indicator of the fact that the spirit in the dressing room seems to be really really strong and that comes from the players i think being there for each other there's a lot um, more of that in the last few weeks i thought what really what i really noticed about that was that the players all kind of gathered around him and created a, a, a protective ring so that romero couldn't come along and boot him up the ass <laughs> 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 yeah, indeed indeed uh before we move uh any further into the second half i know we've sort of gone there and I did say at the top of this pod, it's going to be the sort of pod where we kind of wander around and have fun with it. Uh, it's a fun day. But uh, there was something that happened just before half time, which I'm not quite sure what it was. Uh, I'll just read the notes that are here that we have because I think it says everything. Ziak Havertz, Richie and Royal incident just before half time. What did you make of it, gentlemen? <laughs> Who wants to take that one on? Um, well, I'll start at the end and give them some credit because I think obviously the decision ended up getting to the right conclusion. Well, I've now but, tagged you. You now have to frame the incident for the people who are listening to the pod and don't know what we're talking about. So now you have to set it up as well. So you've drawn the short straw. Um, <laughs> do you want me to help you? I can do it if you want. No, no, no. It's just like... <laughs> While, oh, you, you, got while, own, you, look, while like, you look, while you look, were WhatsApping, I was making notes. <laughs> um, it's been it's been thoroughly explained in kind of a, yeah. a, a a correct way, and it's still a bit of a shit show. But um, that's the way they want to do it. So yeah, yeah. Have, is have that it? Is that your comment? Is that a th- no? Th- no, th- no th- I'm going to th- let, th- 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 let Milo do the kind of walkthrough. Okay. Ha- have it fa- You're fa- handing fa- it off. Or handing it off, <laughs> palming it off to yeah. Yeah, so you, in this in this scenario, you're Emerson Royal, I'm Ollie Skip. You've just uh, got into midfield, just passed it sideways, and I'll yeah. take it from here. So have it have it Richie. Zayek came through and uh, made sure he went down. There, Richie got up and um, squared up to him. There was a bit of um, of a kerfuffle. Royal came through and barged Ziak through the back, and then Ziak react, uh, reacted and pushed him um, to the face, stroke neck, and yeah, that's it basically. And then loads of people were getting involved and saying stuff that they probably didn't need to do. And yeah, I think I think the the ref was looking to book Havertz originally straight off for the for the initial foul, um, and then 
didn't see everything afterwards and was relying on his assistance and VAR in order to get to where he got to. I think what basically what's happened was um, he didn't he he got advised by his assistant that yeah. someone's thrown an yeah. arm, um, but his, his assistant couldn't clarify who that was. Although the ref himself was actually turned around and saw probably who it was because he was right in the middle of it. So he then done the, apparently done the yellow cards because normally you would do the red cards first if you're a ref um, because he was waiting in his ear for VAR to t- identify the person who threw the arm. So then he could then give the card to the correct player. So he then gave the card that he wanted to give to that player. But then was additionally top of the IR, you might want to go and look at that because it might not be up to the violent conduct level. So it all that all seems a bit arse about face me because I think if you're talking to the man in VAR anyway, in the first instance, they might as well just say, well, if we're all a bit confused about it, just go and look at it on the bloody and rewatch it all on the on the, on the telly. It, Why don't you it do kind that? Of goes back, kind of goes back to the suggestion I made a few weeks ago when the three of us yeah. were on here. We're saying, yeah. wouldn't it be great if the ref could just say, I didn't see that. Could you tell yeah. me what happened? And then you, would, you wouldn't have this toing and froing. I think technically it was the <clears throat> the wrong decision based on decisions I've seen given for softer incidents in the past. However, I, I actually feel a great deal of sympathy for Stuart Atwell in 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 uh, in retrospect. First of all, I think he's one of our better referees. Um, he does try and let the game flow. Uh, he was fairly consistent today. He let a lot of he let a, some fairly heavy challenges go, and he let I thought he let yellow cards go for each side. Actually, I didn't think there was definitely. any imbalance there. Definitely. This was definitely his sort of quote unquote dark moment and like controversial moment but in the end overall i like to think that a referee will go to a var monitor and overrule themselves and say i think i made a mistake there or i think something was not quite right or be brave enough to let the decision be taken against them i'm still not sure whether he made the decision that there was not enough force or whether it was the uh the the var uh committee that made but I, no, it's I, him it's him it was him it's his, it's well, his decision yeah yeah, yes, and f- but- so I have to say, fair play to him because as I watched that whole thing it, it go go through, I thought it was set, uh, six of one half of the other handbags. Give some yellow cards and tell them all to fuck off and grow up. We're right, we're pretty close to half time. Let's not let this get out, out of hand. It's you know everyone's posturing. Get on with it. Uh, by the rules of the game, yes maybe he should have had a red but I, I thought it was uh, nice to see a ref use what they felt was common sense to try and keep the game on rails uh, that, I mean and that's a decision that went against us I would like to think we'd be the beneficiaries of a decision like that one day I'm not sure we will be but I, I felt sympathy for him and I thought it was actually weirdly refreshing to see a referee change their mind having used one and say you know I might have got that wrong so that was I mean, sort of my take on it I mean it was a shit show how they got there yeah <laughs> But they got that's, they got to the right place, didn't they? I mean, I mean that's what they were saying so. at half time. At least they got to the right place. It might take them five minutes, and maybe yeah. hopefully it should only take one minute or two minutes. But I mean, just to be slightly uh, on a technical thing, I think he didn't necessarily make the wrong decision. I think his assistant made the wrong decision to tell him. In other words, it, technically, his assistant that told him someone had thrown a punch. So, and then he was probably saying, "But it was a hand. Well, I mean, was it, it bad?" Was- but he was a hand to the face. I mean, the language yeah. that these people use is so is so yeah. sort of it's it's just so cold, and it's so it's you know it's like you know not it's not insufficient force. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a difference between someone getting punched in the face or a jab in the face, and someone just getting but, shoved off. And that's what Ziek was doing. I don't think I think if any of us had seen a Spurs player get sent off for that, we'd have been well, we'd yeah. have been split and, into two camps. And, he raised his hand. He's it's the letter of the law, or there would have been the spiritualists who would but, have been like, well, it's not in the spirit of the game. So, but you know. You know, there wasn't any gouging or anything. Thing or any uh, no. afterwards with it was there and and no. and royal had just run into the back of him just to wind Absolutely. him up you know it, it was, was a bit handbags, of, wasn't know, it 
Yeah, yeah. it was so, handbags, wasn't it? I, I just, think so. I yeah. Just a quick follow-on question, which occurred to me while all this was going on. If you could take one player from our current squad and put them back, go back in time and put them in the Battle of the Bridge, who are you taking? Oh, oh my word! Come on. come on. I mean, is that even a question? Well, I could Do we want two. him to stay on the pitch? Do Doesn't we want matter. him to stay on the pitch? Doesn't matter. Okay. You, 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 you pick your pick your warrior and drop them into that game. Okay, can I can I add to this? Are we? Uh, is a red <laughs> thought, card possible you, thought, or not? I thought you might overcomplicate it. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to. I just. But is just, he is he guaranteed to get a red card or merely not? Get no, a red card? no. He's we don't just, know. No one got a red card that night. Okay. No, well, it's number for for me. It's number seventeen followed closely by number five. One of those two. That those are my answers. If I can have two, and if I can only have one, so, it's got to be number seven. It's got to be. It's got to be so uh, who? Christian Romero. Yeah. Or Pierre Emil Hoybier. One of the two. Romero for me, obviously. It's got to be Romero probably all day, yeah. Yeah. Richarlison would be the other one, the other contender for oh, me. Oh, he's very good. You know, that's good. You know, we could have <laughs> three three extra shithouses in that game. Because <laughs> I think Richarlison just, is just so good at getting under other players' skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, get, why don't you run with Richarlison for a minute, Milo? Because I think that some people are saying, well, he's got to do more. He's not doing enough. So on. I thought, I mean, look, he's not scoring, but he's doing a hell of a lot of work uh, and a hell of a lot of uh, a hell of a lot for us right now, I think. I, uh, I thought he had a really good game today. I thought he was yeah. better than he was last weekend. Um, and I thought he was okay last weekend. Um, I, and I think you've just got to take into account that he's had such a stop-starty season. I mean, this was only his seventh start for us in the league. And so I was, I was having a look at this. So of those seven starts, he started three at right wing or the right wing forward, and then four on the left. And those, you know, two of those four on the left have been the last two games. So he's barely had had a game. In, you know, it, it, he hasn't had much time in his preferred position. It, you know, he's had injuries. Um, he's been in and out of the side. He's, you know, it's been a, been a struggle for him. But I think I think he, it worked really well. I wouldn't want to change. Um, yeah, I'd want him starting our big games now, I think, with Sun coming off the bench. I think him softening up a team for 70-odd minutes and then Sonny coming on and taking advantage is a really good good way of doing it. And I thought he was really good. And I think, you know, it was a combination of both. Yeah, I think he was good at the football, but he's great at the dark arts. And it's, a, you know, I think... Yeah, I think we look a better team with him in it at the moment. I yeah. think that's some that's a sound, a sound game plan with him with Sonny coming off the bench. And I think if you give Richie more minutes, I think his other side of his game will start to blossom a bit more. He will start adding goals and he will start mm-hmm. linking up with the other two forwards and some of the midfielders a bit better in the wing backs. But um yeah, I think I think yeah, I think and I think that's the place Sun needs to be in at the moment really. I, I mean, I'd rather him get more than sort of 8 minutes, 10 minutes or something. But um he's a he's, I mean, it, it makes Son a weapon off the bench, definitely. And it takes yeah. the mental pressure he's had as well I'd, out of the I'd, equation. I'd be tempted to start Son up top on Wednesday. Against Sheffield. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know what you mean, yeah. And because yeah. I think I think one of the things we've got to bear in mind with the game today is we've had a week off. And if you think, you know, um, last weekend against West Ham, you know, Hoybier had been suspended against Milan and obviously Skip hadn't played that many games. So we, you know, we had a bit of freshness in midfield. I think, I do think our best games have happened after we've had, um, you know, time off. And I think, yeah. Yeah. you know, when, when, um, 
the Man City game was, you know, say another one when we'd had um, Preston in the in the cup the week, you know, in midweek, and again there've been lots of changes. So I think our better performances have been after a rest. I think, um, you know, Sheffield United the best team we've played so far in the in the in the FA Cup. So we probably need to put out a slightly stronger side than we have before. But I don't think we should be starting the team that we want to be starting next weekend. No, and I think that this is one of the advantages of Sonny having had uh, some, you know, some relative rest on the bench the last two games. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot less minutes in his legs over the last few weeks than there have been the whole season. So it's it can only be beneficial. And likewise, it's great that we have Papsar who can come in and and you know maybe rotate with with Ollie Skip up in Sheffield. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good situation. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the second goal because I think it's going to be very easy to underrate it. Um, When you watch that goal back, that to me is top, top quality uh, finishing. Harry's had to use excellent core strength, balance and timing to make something look like a tap-in. That's not a tap-in, is it, chaps? No. That's right place, right time, ball slightly offline, and you're turning that into an opportunity, which nine times out of ten you see players miss because they're, uh, the ball's a little behind them or they're a little off balance. He's just made it look like bread and butter. But it wasn't that easy, was it? And also, they try. Uh, many forwards would try to put too much force into that as well. They would yeah. like lash at it and try. And, but um, I, it's just another it, example of the intricacies that Kane has learnt. Yes. He knows what it takes to get the ball into the net one way or the other. Mm-hmm. The other thing I will say on that, I think like getting Mason Mount to mark Eric Dyer was kind of ridiculous from Chelsea. Brilliant. Was but, but Dyer, <laughs> Dyer was mounting Mount, wasn't he? I mean, he it was. was. <laughs> <laughs> he was. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think the defending at the back post for Chelsea was awful. It was Sterling picking up Kane in the lead yeah. up to that. Was it like just inside? I think so, no place only, but no one picked him up, mm. um, which was, was odd. Hot. Just, well, no, just poor. I mean, mm. um, so that was our 12th goal from set pieces this season. Yeah. Um, so just for comparison, our player with the most assists is Decky with five. So uh, Vio, I, I think, has got the most assists and, uh, you know, for the team. And, um, yeah. and yeah, that's, that's, that's the most goals from set pieces in the Premier League. Really? Yeah. You yeah. mentioned Sterling, by the way. I just want to point out that uh, Sterling, uh, within one minute, had tried one of uh, a, a really pathetic dive in the uh, in the box, trying to con a penalty. Um, oh, was, anyway, we'll get on to that in a minute. But that that really irritated me. I just thought I'd mention that apropos of nothing. Actually, that dive irritated me. So there we go. But you did mention um, we, we should let's talk about uh, Ben Davis. His three hundredth game for us today. He's uh, Whisper it, he's making left wing back his own, isn't he, at this point? <laughs> I think he just falls. He's another one of those players, because we've always said he's like Mr. Seven, kind of seven out of ten man, isn't he? He's mm. very reliable. He's very solid. But I think, once again, he's probably not given enough credit for his, his football intelligence as well. We, need, mm. we know he's an intelligent fella off the pitch, but I think he shows that on the pitch as well. And it, that could just be, and even that might just fall into like, falling into routines and learning the kind of ins and outs of the position you're playing. And he's probably, well, from a coach's point of view, he's probably a pleasure to have around a player like that, really. Very adaptable. I think he very rarely makes the wrong decision. Yeah. So I think you know, his timing's good. He's got a decent range of passing. Yeah, as you said, he's missed a 7 out of 10, but I think he was very good again. And mm. um, I I mean, again, it's it's interesting, isn't it? We've, we're benching... Our two best set piece takers, you know, Sun and Perisic are on the bench, and but you know, we look better. We look better. Yeah. Um, I think finally, well, I say finally, this is a little harsh. Christian Romero has been brilliant. 
for us since he arrived. Um, I think maybe the only quibble I've had with him so far uh, this season has been his, um, his, his timing on certain ways of impressing himself on the game. The last two games, you could not complain about that timing at all. And I thought today he absolutely impressed himself on the game in a way that I think actually did shake Chelsea a little bit, did scare them. Um, and I thought every, he pretty much got everything perfect. This was as close as I've seen to a perfect game from him uh, this season. I mean, bear in mind that, mm. that, you know, that little miscontrol on the halfway line being the only blip, but he recovered that. Uh, do you think that's fair comment? Was this possibly his best game of the season? He I was th- immense, wasn't he? I-, I think he's been very good since the World Cup, full stop. But I think he was excellent today. He sets the tone for it. So, yeah. um, you know, when we're, you know, his, his aggression from the back just it brings it brings everyone else with him and when he's on his game yeah he's he's really really good yeah i think he um i think someone must have treated him to a new watch because his um his timing is immaculate now <laughs> it's really but, good isn't it and yeah. it was and it was last week as well and it's funny how it kind of it came after that game where we thought he was a bit dodgy and then last week and this week everything has been timed to perfection and mm. the level of aggression's timed to uh is perfected as well he's not going you know it's not going in well he's still going in hard but it seems as though when you see it in replay you think oh no that's just the right side of the line and once again similar to Richie just gets under all their skins I think I think maybe when Mason Mount came on he had a torrid a bit of a torrid time with him sometimes where uh, and I think he even tried to lay a couple on Mudrick I think because well he horrified he horrified Havertz I mean what he had that uh, he had that incident in the first half up high on the right hand touchline Mm -hmm. and and Havertz didn't want to know after that I mean he really didn't want to know I mean you actually watch him coming away from that and he's the one who's put Romero on the floor in the end by not by mm. sort of going, you know, they both clash and he ends up, momentum carries Romero to the floor. But Havertz looks just like, Whoa, I want none of this. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. Yeah, yeah no, it was, it was uh, my, my and, man of the match, definitely. Yeah, and I have to say also, it would be remiss and Johnny will, my friend Johnny will be chuckling at this because we had a uh, we had a big discussion after going about this. With every great uh, Christian Romero performance and clean sheet, it would be uh, rude not to mention Eric Dyer's uh, continual uh, calm consistency. And uh, I will mention it again today if anyone cares to join me in that please do if not let's just talk about the fact he did get an assist today yep two clean sheets so yeah. you know yeah yeah um clement longley had a good game i'm just making sure we mention everyone in today's 2-0 victory over chelsea <laughs> so finally uh fraser forster uh yes. we gave a bit of a hard time after the leicester game uh He's you know right, isn't he? <laughs> yeah what do you think today well Chelsea obviously started to believe all the news stories that they can't score goals and they've got no one up front or they've whatever and I think they need to just break their self out of that so um because they didn't really create much today they didn't give much force so much to he, he did a great one when he came out quickly at someone's feet mm, that, was that was very, very good, good. Yep. so um I was pleased with that and he should you know he should try to dominate he's a big scary man isn't he you know what I mean? yeah. So. yeah I think he's looked Looked pretty good the last two weeks, and um, yeah, it settled in nicely. I I bought a new frying pan this week, and I got I made a mistake where it's 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 too big. I got the sizes sizing wrong, so I bought this absolutely huge frying pan. <laughs> You got paella, I, one of those paella ones, is it? Like yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I've, I'm I'm calling it Fraser in in in, uh, in honor of the big man's hands. Yeah. Very good, uh, very good indeed. Uh, yeah, so uh, we are uh, at this. Uh, <laughs> 
I would say it's usually the bit of the, the pod where we sort of have a few words about the opposition. We maybe have a few more today because we'll have a little bit of a gloat. But uh, what do we think of Chelsea uh, right now? Um, what, can we remember a time that a game against them was this easy in recent history? I think they must have they must have come off the field or their fans probably thought about their team. Some of those times when we play Chelsea and you come off, oh, we were just so kind of like passive and didn't really do anything. But they definitely look like they've... They've got good players, but they're not looking like they're gelling yet. They don't really look like they've got a great amount of belief or direction. I think they maybe need to get over themselves about not having a forward because I think Man City, I mean, they've certainly got players that could be moulded into playing a kind of pep kind of game with a false nine. Undoubtedly, they've got loads of good players. But um, the whole Potter thing is quite sad. I hope, I think if he was given time, he will turn them around, but I'd much rather see him get out of there. He doesn't deserve to be in that kind of toxic club really and he's going to get a big amount of money from them and I can quite see him going to manage Villa or Leicester or someone else I don't think it's going to ruin him as a as a manager but um I was quite disappointed with them today actually I thought I was a bit fearful because um uh James and Chilwell were playing and I actually thought West Ham gave us a week off last week from pressing and I don't think Chelsea I thought Chelsea would come after us and I don't think they really did that that much really and I don't know whether that's because they slightly lack belief or they're just you know lacking in confidence I'm not sure but um I'm pleased that um they're struggling let's just put it that way tossers <laughs> yeah it's funny isn't it with say not even the striker thing because I was again during the game I was thinking back to kind of Potter's uh, Brighton and for a long a lot of his time there he didn't really have a recognized striker and they did okay um I, I feel for him I think he's a decent manager I think he's made the wrong choice joining them um I think the chairman is dictating what's happening on the football pitch you know in terms of the signing players you know I think if they'd asked Potter what he wanted in January I doubt he would have given them you know he would have asked for what they what they signed and I think you make the job impossible when you start doing that kind of thing and you know really um yeah i it's it's good i can't i can't see it working it's a bad fit and yeah they'll they'll get someone in who i mean really they probably need a galactico manager don't they i think that's probably where they'll end up yeah i mean i thought today as a performance just taking chelsea as a team their performance i mean let's face it they're like uh they're like michelin star french toast that's been left out for overnight and gone really soggy and lacked any form substance or, or, or real taste anymore but the ingredients are expensive um I, I think you know look the squad is extremely talented graham potter's i think a really good manager but it's, it's as you said Mar, there's clearly been a mismatch on strategies here because you, you can't hand any manager. I don't. You any manager in world football, given the job that Graham Potter has had to do, could not have done it by now. I, I think it's impossible. You can't knit all of those players together, let alone leave half of those players out. Remember, he's not just managing the players on the pitch and in the training room. It's the players that he has to not register for the Champions League because they've bought too many players and their squads too bloated. He's got to manage those unhappy fellows, the likes of you know, Aubameyang. I mean, that can't be easy either. And I just think, you know, it's, I mean, we, we heard his pre, pre-match interview. It was very, very sad. You know, his I mean, mental health and... I mean, even Mason Mount is uh, refusing to sign a new contract at the moment. There's yeah. talk of him joining, you know, Liverpool, which seems crazy. You know, you're going out and spending all this money and then you've got a homegrown player and, you know, they're going to have issues with um, homegrown yeah. players if they're not careful. And, yeah. and you know, you're, you're risking losing him, which um, just seems crazy oh. to me. And I, he think, must... I think financially, 
that's quite good for them though because they it can is, sell yeah. him as they can get 30 35 million for him and then that can go on the balance sheet as in a, yeah, yeah no, that's true. Away, but it's so. but who's making those decisions and if you're a Chelsea supporter that's what you want to know is Graham Potter turning around to Bowley and saying actually I don't really want Mason Mount you can get rid of him uh, and you know I want Enzo I doubt it very much yeah. I don't think so at all I mean I, you know without wishing to subscribe to too many cliches here you know Bowley's coming across a little bit like you know Brewster's Millions character or something <laughs> it's like you know it's it's sort of it's almost like he thinks he's playing fantasy football but, and but suddenly it's going to catch up with him that that you're not this let, is not hope, a game let's hope that pop bitch story is true and that he really did think that they qualified automatically for the champions league and unbelievable uh, and, and that, that therefore they didn't have to worry about the money that'd be hilarious unbelievable yeah absolutely and we're sort of looping into what we were talking about at the beginning of this pod uh, again with Graham Potter and this is to show that it is a universal story in football Graham Potter's given one of the most honest interviews pre-match yeah. I think I've seen for a long time he said hey this job is affecting my mental health it's affecting my family my family have had death threats I mean, what the actual fuck? Like, what, what is going on? You know, he's a decent guy. Even if he wasn't a decent guy, even if he's a complete wanker, no. doesn't matter. You don't deserve that. So I, I, I feel very sorry for him. And, you know, I, I hope for his sake he does get out. And Milo, you were saying earlier in the week you felt the Bundesliga might be a good place for him to rebuild and recalibrate and, and re-enjoy football and maybe get out of the spotlight uh, from you know from all these wankers that are abusing him and so on. I think it was a great shout. And let's hope that happens, um, mm. you know, and let's hope that so, let's hope that Bowley keeps on running uh, Chelsea because at this point he's just going to be running uh, the most expensive mismatch farm uh, in the Premier League. Long may it continue. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out there because it's a whole new kind of game he's playing. And it, it, it feels like a really, really massive gamble that everything needs to everything yeah. needs to, to, to work yeah. in, in order for it to, to play out. And yeah, um, There's nothing organic about it. So. No, well, he's looked no. at these players and these contracts uh, uh, in, in a really weird way, right? Because he's got a lot of these new signings. He's signed them up to six, seven-year contracts. And I think that he's uh, very, not maybe as aware of the fact that your value in football drops very quickly as a footballer. <laughs> you know, you can lose. I mean, look at, look at Ndombele. Look at the, look at how much value he lost in such a short amount of time. It doesn't take long before that seven year deal you signed seems like a, is a bad investment. So I don't know. I think they're in a pickle. I was delighted to see such an easy victory today. So we are at one positive and one negative in thirty seconds. Um, <laughs> three, two, one, Ricky. Um, my positive is um, I'd like to have a little look at the old league beforehand and my paranoia would always still say that Chelsea and Liverpool can still go on an end of season run and be a threat to us for fourth place because the thing we have to remember this year I mean three teams that are in the top four were out of the top four last year when it was Newcastle, Man U and Arsenal so they've all got better so we're kind of lucky that Chelsea and Liverpool aren't doing well but I think that's put us 14 points above Chelsea now with 14 to play so they've got they're not gonna I think that's them out of it now and the other thing is we took our chance to put a bit of distance between us and Newcastle because they weren't playing this week and I think they've got City next week as well so that really could be another chance to although they'll have sort of some games in hand that's I meant that's not the same as having points on the board and that was quite a long positive there's no negatives today I don't think well there can't be no negatives when you beat Chelsea you've lost to them so many times that I'm just all over positive I agree no negatives uh, my positive is that of our Premier League le- games left to go we've only got two against like, tr- the traditional top four <laughs> left so it's only Man United and Liverpool left so um, we- we've still got to play Newcastle we've got to play Brighton and you know they're looking quite good at the moment but 
yeah, the big games, not many left now. So there's a lot of points I think, for us we've to got, pick up. And I think we've got those three close together, haven't we? I think we Man have, Liverpool yeah, that's Newcastle. right. So that would just New, be the... Newcastle, Man United, Liverpool are back-to-back, aren't they? Yeah. The positive is four points uh, out of six from Chelsea this season. A defeatless season to them. Lovely. No goals conceded, obviously. Uh, always a, a great thing. And no negatives. None. We march to Sheffield, gentlemen. Or at we least do. get the train or drive up there or possibly uh, if you're non-eco-friendly get in a small plane and fly up if you're Spurs I'm not sure how they're getting there but we will be at Sheffield United for the uh, for the FA Cup tie on Wednesday and then we'll be playing a much improved Wolves I can tell you I think that's probably going to be a tougher game than we had today uh, Loptigi's really got them uh, doing some good stuff hasn't he so um yeah. anyway we'll be back to discuss those games uh, next week thanks very much chaps uh, it was a fun one today cheers Jeff nice left Very good. And uh, to everyone listening, thank you very much as always. And we will see you next week.